Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it is January 18th, 2017. I have healthcare contributor Todd Campbell calling into Full HQ in Alexandria, Virginia. How's the last week been, Todd? Hi, Christine. Happy Wednesday. Thank you. Happy Wednesday, indeed. Do you ski, Christine? I do. I was just on a ski trip last weekend. Oh, so was I. Really? And we both emerged unscathed. Yeah, no, no big bone breakages to uh, report, just a little bruised. Excellent. Yeah, I went <laughs> up to, uh, in New Hampshire, it's, it's not really skiing. It's more like sledding on ice-filled mountains. <laughs> but... Hey, at least you guys probably have real snow. It was all fake snow in Maryland. Oh, I, I would have taken fake snow to tell you the truth. It was pretty skied off. It was it was tough conditions, and I don't know about you, but uh, well, I'm a lot older. But uh, my my knees by the end of the ibuprofen was my friend. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Very cool. I, I did not know that we had that in common from this past weekend. So uh, the meat of today's show, we've got a lot of different things that we're going to cover. We've got some big picture sort of takeaways from a very important healthcare conference that is wrapping up. And we also have a little bit of earnings news to touch on. But let's get started first with some takeaways from the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. Todd, do you want to start with just why why JP Morgan matters? Well, yeah, it's it's the granddaddy conference, right? Everybody looks to <clears throat> early January to watch this conference and to look at the presentations that come out from it's a great opportunity for the executives at at different companies to to tout their performance in the past year and to to point people in a certain direction, investors in a certain direction for what could happen this year. Uh, so every year there's a tremendous amount of attention that gets focused on it. We've put out a lot of coverage on the Motley Fool that you know listeners can go out and track down if they're interested in individual companies. Uh, but there were a couple specific uh, takeaways coming out of JP Morgan, two things that I think are happening this year that are uh, pretty transformative. Right. I would say the very top of my list, at least for big advances that, that were announced, and I would even go so far to say that this company was the winner of the conference, was Illumina. They jumped 17% their stock did after they uh, had their JP Morgan presentation because they had so many cool things to report. Yeah, it was pretty much a perfect storm. The stock had fallen a lot last year. There had been some weakness in Europe early in the year and some weakness in the U.S. in the third quarter. And as a result, investors were getting a little bit nervous that maybe the double-digit growth that they've gotten used to over the past few years was coming to an end. So you had them walking away from the stock going into J.P. Morgan. And then sure enough, at the conference, they come out with this bombshell. Hey, we're rolling out two completely transformative new gene sequencing machines that could significantly, I think, advance uh, this entire movement towards personalized medicine. So medicine that is based on each individual's 
uh, genetic code. And Illumina is completely at the the front of this market. I mean, they they dominate the gene sequencing market. But yeah, they, they pioneered it, right, Christine? Exactly. But they do kind of need a little bit of a, a kick in the pants to get them moving again, particularly with their high end instruments. And there are many that think that this new line of sequencers could totally re-energize it. And I think the most exciting part about the NovaSeq 5000 and 6000 that they announced is that this system could eventually allow researchers to sequence an entire genome for under $100, which to, wow. that's incredible. I mean, to put that in a little bit of context, when the HiSeq X machine was announced in 2010, it could do it for $1,000. And that was incredible. So to take that down by another factor of 10 to $100 or less, that opens up so many possibilities for gene sequencing. Right. I mean, 20 years ago, this was tens and tens of thousands of dollars that it would cost to do this. And you were getting very top line uh, surface genetic data. Now you're talking about a pathway for the first time to get us below consistently that thousand dollar mark, potentially drive it all the way down to a hundred dollars. But in addition to that, to be able to do it with more accuracy and more speed than ever before. So they're able to use deep sequencing technology to get even greater understanding of the connection between um, uh, our genetic code and disease. And I think that that is just, it could be very transformative long-term, but even in the short-term, it could help kickstart Illumina back to you know, where they were growing maybe 10% year over year coming out of the third quarter, maybe they get closer back towards that 15 to 20% mark that people have gotten used to in the past. Right. This is a very exciting company to watch. I mean, I think that the NovaSeq machines are the most intriguing thing that to watch right this second, but this is a company with a lot of intrigue around it. They have very strong strategic partnerships. They just announced three more at JP Morgan with BioRad Laboratories, Philips for data analytics in oncology, and also even IBM with Watson for standardizing and simplifying genomic data interpretation. So, plenty to watch out for here. We've also talked on the show a little bit about some of their moonshot programs like Grail and Helix. If these don't sound familiar to listeners that are just starting to listen to the show, definitely go back and try to find those episodes. If you can't, shoot me an email at industryfocus@fool.com. I will send them right over to you. But yes, tons to be excited about with Illumina. Yeah, in a re, in that again, the, the, I think the, the big takeaway is to go back for investors and say, what has happened in the past when the cost of gene sequencing has fallen? And like you mentioned, the IC10, when that launched, it caused a wave of growth, a surge in research and activity, and of course, resulting demand for the consumables uh, that are a higher margin that Illumina sells. So as the price comes down, more overall research activity, which could open up all sorts of doors further on. This is one yep. of my... One of my top stocks, I think, for 2017, Christine. You know, the more I look into it, the more I agree. It's, it's kind of a pricey stock, but I, I'll also add to what you were talking about, about more research. With the 21st Century Cures Act, that was another $4.8 billion to the NIH over 10 years for more programs that involve this sort of sequencing. Right. And one of those, some of that money is going to be heading towards uh, developing next generation cancer drugs, which, of course, segues into my other big takeaway out of JPM. Which was? which was the fact that CAR-T is most likely going to become a reality uh, either later this year or early next year. Quick refresher on CAR-T. Okay, we're talking about removing the T-cells from a patient's body, re-engineering them so that they can find 
cancer cells, bind to them, and destroy them. So, you know, we, there's all sorts of reasons why cancer cells can evade detection by the T cells. What we've discovered or what these researchers have discovered is that you can actually program the T cell to find these proteins that are expressed primarily by cancer cells. And one of the most advanced, or I, I guess you'd call it the most advanced, I mean, there's an application that's already underway for its approval, is Kite Pharma's uh, KTE C19, which, if approved, will be sold as AxiCell. And that is targeting non-Hodgkin lymphomas that haven't responded or that have come back after prior treatment. And as you mentioned, it is pending approval in this indication, which is super exciting. And at JP Morgan, they presented their roadmap to commercialization, which was also very impressive. They have a manufacturing facility that's in full operation, which this is really important for the FDA to see that you're actually able to make your drug and have it be up to standards every single time. They have a commercial facility that's close to the LAX airport, and they're prepared to produce right off the bat 4,000 plus treatments for patients every year. Right. So, I mean, if we do a little back of the napkin math there, Christine, we know we don't know what price they would set this at. It's a complex, brand new class of drugs. But we do know that most cancer drugs that have launched over the course of the last few years have launched with six-figure price tags, right? So, let's just assume that it runs somewhere in that range of 100 to 200. Well, if you look at 4,000 uh, patients and you go by 100,000 uh, dollars, that's 400 million. If you go by 200,000, that's 800 million. So, you know, this has a nine-figure potential just within the early indications um, that it's seeking approval for now. And of course, Kite's got all sorts of research going on further back that could theoretically expand the use of CAR-T into other indications that could also generate eventually money. But as we always discuss, right, Christine, um, you know, you don't want to get the cart too far in front of the horses. Um, this drug has not been approved. Uh, we have seen manufacturing problems delay or result in complete response letters from the FDA. So there's still some hurdles that you know need to be overcome before investors can be confident that this drug is going to be starting to generate meaningful revenue for the company. But coming out of JPM, I mean, I really do feel like you know there's a really good shot that this this becomes a reality. And the, Science fiction is no longer, uh, it just becomes science. We've been watching CAR-T technology for a long time, and to this point, it's been sort of disappointing. There have been a lot of hiccups with safety profiles and different companies not meeting the expectations that they had set out for themselves. But it does look, like you said, coming out of this conference, that Kite is about to make it a reality, which is pretty cool. So last year, we covered this conference on our January 20th episode. If you want to go back and find out more about what was going on in this conference last year, throwback, maybe save it for tomorrow, throwback Thursday. You can also check out the full roundup of Motley Fool coverage. We've got a list of all of the articles that we've written about this conference on Fool.com. Just search for Motley Fool 2017 JP Morgan Healthcare Conference Roundup. That should bring you right there. Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important that you work with somebody that you can trust and who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and the length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. So, skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com. 
equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. All right, Todd, are you ready for earnings season? I'm about as ready as I'm going to get. How Good, you? because even if you're not ready, it's ready for you. <laughs> United Here Health- it comes. It's coming on fast. <laughs> it is. And- United Health Group reported on Tuesday morning, yesterday morning. Um, yeah, and this is one of those companies, right, Christine, that we are going to be laser focused on in 2017 for a lot of different reasons. Some in, some industry uh, oriented and some stock specific and, of course, some political. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the biggest health insurer in the United States. So it definitely is a company to watch if you're interested in this changing healthcare landscape in America. Yeah, as well, as the largest U.S. health insurance uh, player, obviously, United Healthcare made a lot of news last year, uh, Christine, when they came out and they said, hey, guess what? We're losing a boatload of money in selling uh, our insurance plans on the Obamacare or Affordable Care Act exchanges. So in 2017, we're going to back substantially away from that program. And that kicked off a whole lot of um, activity within the industry with a a number of other other insurers saying, yeah, we're losing money too, and maybe we're going to walk it back too. And now, obviously, with the election of Donald Trump in November and plans to repeal and replace, the, the health insurance market is going to be uh, going through a major transition in the course of the next, what, 12 to 18 months uh, as all of the people who have been covered on the Affordable Care Act uh, now have to seek out coverage through some other venue. And what will that venue look like? How will United Healthcare profit from whatever change occurs? All of that's going to have to be um, carefully watched over the course of the next year. Absolutely. And management does expect that they'll post-2017 revenue of between $197 billion and $199 billion. This is a humongous company. And that would work out to a growth rate of about 65 to 7.5% compared to the finish of 2016. So, that's still pretty solid growth. Um, in particular, I, I would say watch out for the Optum segment. Uh, the way that this company works is they have the health insurer, which is the United Healthcare Insurance segment, and then they also have the Optum part, which has a whole bunch of different things involved in it. It's got their pharmacy benefits manager, they have Optum RX, data analytics, a whole bunch of stuff going on in Optum. And it's been growing like a weed. But interestingly, in the fourth quarter, revenue from the insurance segment jumped over 15%. Um, meanwhile, the Optum revenue actually only inched upwards by a little over 1%. Yeah, the, 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 there's a Couple of things that investors are going to have to remember here. They're going to kind of keep it and weigh it as they're comparing year over year comparisons over the coming quarters, right? And one of them is going to be what is going to be the impact of the drawdown or or, or exiting these other markets in the, in the individual marketplace. Okay, so how will that affect revenue? It's, it's almost like when you're looking at insurers because they're so big and the margins are so thin. Uh, it's less important what their top line is doing than it is what their bottom line is doing. I mean, you know, if you look at the Q4 numbers, United Health's top line grew 9% to 47 billion, which is amazing. But maybe more important is to look at the adjusted EPS number for that quarter, which was up 50% to $2.11. And the same thing with with the 2016 full year numbers. You had revenue surge, right? A lot of that was because of marketplace plans that it turned out they were losing money on. So revenue for the full year was 184 million billion, I'm sorry. 
um, up 18%. Well, that sounds great, right? But they were losing money on some of that growth. So when you're looking at that 2017 forecast and you say, okay, well, yeah, but revenue is only going to grow 6.5% this year versus last year, and last year grew much faster, you have to remember that that revenue growth is going to be more profitable revenue growth than it was in 2016. Yes, you absolutely. Know? If you look at their earnings guidance, they're guiding for 15 to 19% bottom line growth. Right. Very hard to argue with uh, a stodgy old big insurer that can grow earnings by double digit percentages. I mean, that's that's pretty compelling. Not bad. Not bad. All right. So we also want to talk about Johnson & Johnson, which is another one of our favorite healthcare stocks to talk about because they are very large and also very interesting. They will report earnings on January 24th. Do you want to do a quick refresher first on the third quarter earnings before we talk about what to look for? Absolutely. You know, so J&J's got three big businesses, right? They do the consumer business, which think like Listerine and Aveeno, that kind of stuff. Then they've got the, the Goliath pharmaceutical business, which markets a lot of top selling drugs. And then they've got a medical device unit, right? Which, of course, is involved in things like, I don't know, hip replacements and um, cardiovascular treatment, surgery, that kind of thing. Uh, the majority or the bulk of their growth historically over the last, we'll call it last five years or so, has come from that pharmaceutical unit and specifically has come from U.S. sales within that pharmaceutical unit. And in the third quarter, sales grew 4% um, to $17.8 billion overall across everything. But without a doubt, the pharmaceutical was the shining star that quarter. Sales were up uh, 9%, 9% to $8.4 billion in the quarter. So as we look forward and we say, okay, well, how did they do in Q4? We're going to want to see, okay, did the pharmaceutical growth rate accelerate or did it decelerate? Because again, that's a big driver of what's going to be happening with J&J in 2017. Yep, I totally agree. And sometimes I go back and forth about, do I give the pharmaceutical segment of J&J too much attention? I mean, I hardly ever think about, say, the consumer segment. And I'm not sure if that's just because I love biotech and I love drug development, that's what I cover. Or if you look at these numbers, it just is what investors need to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, consumers a $3.3 billion per quarter business, where pharmaceuticals is an $8.4 billion business. So, I mean, and consumer is kind of an established, you're always going to get single digit. It's not going to growth. You're not going to get, you know, the wild swings uh, because of either patent expiration causing sales to decline uh, or new competition, which we'll talk about in a second, or new drug launches. Right. Uh, those are the things that are going to move the needle up or down, higher or lower for J&J in 2017. Exactly. And for me, the number one thing that I'm looking for in their pharmaceutical segment is what happens with Remicade, which is a treatment for rheumatoid arthritis and a biosimilar, meaning a, a generic version of a biologic complex drug called Inflectra, which was developed by Celtrion and licensed by Pfizer hit the shelves of the market in November of this past year. So, Remicade is this very, very important drug to, to Johnson & Johnson. And now, all of a sudden, you have this off-brand, generic, biosimilar competitor coming in. And we don't yet know what's going to happen to it. We have some hints. We know that in the EU, where Merck actually is the one that markets Remicade, uh, they have seen a little bit of a drop because of the introduction of a biosimilar over there. In the first nine months of 2016, European Remicade revenue dropped 30% compared to 2015's first nine months. 
And that itself is kind of an interesting number, 30%, because that's actually not that much um, compared to normally generic competition will eat 80 or 90 or even more percent of a, a brand name drug. And the reason for that is because biosimilars are not your average generic. They don't sell for as much of a discount because they're really tricky to make. And they're not exact duplicates. It's not a chemical that you can just make another one of and know it's the exact same thing. With a biosimilar, you still have some principles of brand loyalty where somebody might be a little bit skeptical of them. They're new. There are questions around them. And meanwhile, they only sell for about a 15% discount in the case of Inflectra. Yeah. So you've got a situation where Giant J is trying to uh, calm the fears, if you will, uh, regarding the potential to Remicade. Remember, Remicade is 20% roughly of their pharmaceutical revenue, uh, $1.783 uh, billion in the third quarter alone. So this is a very important drug. And you know, if you look at the conference call from the third quarter, and you listen to what management was saying, you know, they were saying, well, you know, remember, Inflectra, which is Pfizer's biosimilar, there's no interchangeability there. It's not like you can walk into the pharmacy and say, well, my doctor wrote a script for Remicade. Can you give me Inflectra instead? It has to be written for Inflectra specifically. So initially, at least out of the gate, my feeling is that you're going to have there's about 30% of Remicade patients that don't respond well to Remicade. Okay, so those patients will probably go pretty quickly over to Inflectra. There's also, of course, some patients that will want the price difference, and it depends a lot how the insurers play this out, right? Yes. Because you've you've got average wholesale prices, right? And those don't tell the whole story because Johnson Johnson could go back to these big insurers like United Healthcare and say, "Hey, we'll cut you a deal. We'll undercut Inflectra." if you continue to to reimburse uh, Remicade at a more favorable part on your drug formula. Yes, absolutely. So we are sort of running out of time, but uh, the one more thing that I wanted to say about Johnson Johnson that I'll be looking for, particularly in their earnings conference call, is any sort of commentary on M&A, mergers and acquisitions. There is $41 billion of cash on this company's balance sheet, which is a lot, and they want to be making moves with it. Um, they're in talks with a company called Actelion, so we've still got our eye on that. And I'll be curious to see what else they plan on doing with their cash. Todd, before we sign off, anything else that you're looking for in J&J's earnings? Top thing. Yeah, let's just let's give our, our listeners just a couple numbers to jot down on on a little post-it note or whatever to stick on their monitor. Please so don't do this while you're driving. Yeah, right, right. Good point. Do it later if you're driving, okay? Just, Unless you're just in a memorize Tesla. them. No, even then. <laughs> um, but you know, so so the guidance for 2016 was for 71.5 billion to 72.2 billion. Okay, so you want to see if they they come in the high end of that. 71.5 to 72.2. Um, they were also guiding for 668 to 673 in adjusted EPS. So again, where are they falling? Now analysts right now are at 72, right in the middle, 72 billion and six dollars and 71 cents. So obviously, if we come in ahead of those numbers, um, the stock could rally. And if we come in below, then maybe there's an opportunity uh, for long-term investors to buy the stock on sale. We'll have to see how that rolls out. And of course, for long-term investors, management expectations matter more than analyst expectations. You want to see that the company has a good handle on its own earnings. 
Absolutely. That will do it for this healthcare episode. Thanks so much, Todd. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you can always email the team with any comments or questions at industryfocus@fool.com. And if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on iTunes, please. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis, and Fool on! Fool on!